thought finally the American Classic Arcade Museum would be this tough. And now we got a thunderstorm to contend with. Dude, I told you not to take that left turn at Albuquerque. Oh, we're not even close to New Mexico. No, but we did pass Mexico, New York. I, I personally think we took the wrong turn. Ah, uh, cute. Well, uh, here, th there's a house nearby. Maybe they'll be able to help us with some directions. That's a pretty big house. Oh, hello. We weren't expecting you. Welcome to Body Manor. I'm gonna go wait in the car. Good evening, good whatever time of day it is. When you listen to this, as always, my name's James Irish. This is Gaming Street Regulars, and this is my suspect, I mean co-host, Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone. You can also call me Professor Plum, because that's my favorite character to play in the game. <laughs> and welcome to our podcast on Cluedo, or Clue, depending on what region you live in. Mm-hmm. I love this game. I, I wonder what's going to annoy me faster, that or Zip Zip Zip. We will have a poll on the website shortly. Things Chrissy <laughs> does to annoy James. Oh my god, I this is... I have to say, like this is one of my favorite games growing up. I play this now with my nieces. Haley hates us because we always beat her at it, even though this is her favorite game. Uh, she hasn't quite figured out the art of deduction yet, but... As, as someone who is a Sherlockian and who loves mysteries to begin with, I love this game. I love this game. So when I said last time that our discussion on Atari trackball games might wind up short and we wound up getting a full-length episode out of this, I'm going to say we're going to get more than full-length <laughs> this time. So, yeah, there's just so much to this game. Do you know yeah, there's the, a musical? Yes, yes. There's, there's been a musical, a feature film, a children's TV series, a British game show, several computer and, and home console ports. And books. A VHS game. Two VHS games and a DVD oh, game. Yeah. And lots of junior novelizations. And there's actually an adult novelization, too. So we're just missing a theme park attraction now. Uh, don't worry. They'll find, don't worry. Somebody, somewhere, will do it. Depending yeah. on who wants the rights right now. Well, right now, Universal is the closest partner with Hasbro since they've got the Transformers rights for theme parks. Okay, okay, Universal, you heard that. Clue game, ride. Now, stat, go. You already have me with Harry Potter. You might as well get me with this one, too. <laughs> so, Clue actually was created in 1944 by Mr. Anthony E. Pratt, who was actually... An English musician, 
he wanted to uh, create a murder mystery parlor game, and he actually originally named it Murder. Uh, his wife, kind of, who helped the game, helped change it a little bit and be kind of presented to um, Waddington's. And what Waddington's game is, is kind of the English version of Parker Brothers. So they are a very big game company. So and you they, mean they're not the people who make those cute bears and the rain slickers? Nope, that's Paddington. Oh, I know. There goes those notes. <laughs> Sorry, James. However, the name Cluedo actually came from the idea of Clue and the name Ludo, which means I play in Latin. And it's also a common term for the British game called Parcheesi. So Cluedo well, the was... The British term for... for what we call Parcheesi, that is. Yep. And from there, history was made. And uh, that little bit about Parcheesi is why the game is not Cluedo here in the United States and Canada, since nobody would make the connection between Ludo and this game. Most people didn't know it, and honestly, when Parker Brothers kind of, not took over the patent, but the licensing for the North American um, debut of it, they felt Americans wouldn't understand it, which they're right. So they made it to just the more, much more simpler and to the point title of Clue. Now, there were originally 10 characters for the game. There are the traditional six. Mrs. Uh, it was actually originally uh, Mrs. White, but her name originally was Nurse White. Colonel Mustard, whose name was initially Colonel Yellow. Mrs. Peacock, Miss Scarlet. Reverend Green, who got turned into Mr. Green in the United States because there weren't all that many reverends and people wouldn't know what to make of him, and Professor Plum. Originally, in addition to them, the four that got eliminated was Mr. Brown, Mr. Gold, Miss Gray, who eventually came back as Sergeant Gray, and Mrs. Silver. So those four were actually eliminated from the gameplay. And then there was also the suspect in total. Originally, there were 11 rooms. Uh, unfortunately, they eliminated two of those, which was the gun room and the cellar. Originally, there were nine weapons. Uh, the ones that got eliminated out of that was the bomb, the syringe, the shillelagh, and the fireplace poker. Later, they added the axe and the poison, but those were also taken out as well in the original gameplay. Now, before we get too deep into the weeds, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we will be talking about our personal strategies and experiences with the game. We'll be talking about the myriad number of multimedia spinoffs that we alluded mm -hmm. to earlier. And so, so, so much more that you, too, will have flames on the side of your face. Woo! Six suspects, 
six weapons, and nine rooms. Now, uh, depending on which version you happen to own, uh, you're going to always have these five. Your Colonel Mustard, Professor Plum, Mr. or Reverend Green, Miss Scarlet, and Mrs. Peacock. Now, Miss White, in 2016, was replaced by Dr. Orchid to add a little uh, ethnic diversity to the game's lineup, you know, keeping with the modern times. They did not fully eliminate, though, Miss White. If you read the backstory to Dr. Orchid, Dr. Orchid actually was raised by Miss White. She was Mr. Body backslash Dr. Black, if you're in the UK's daughter, who he kind of adopted and then shooed away. So. Mrs. White, while she's not in the game, she is heavily influenced is um, Miss Dr. Orchid. So while Miss White is not in the game, she is technically still in the game. I imagine she'll be back at some point. Well, they did bring her back when they did the classic game where they brought her back as a character. You know, I, I imagine I imagine characters might rotate in and out. I could see Miss Peacock slipping out for a bit to give Miss White a turn again, or mm-hmm. maybe swapping around uh, Colonel Mustard for Sergeant Gray or something like that. Well, Sergeant Sergeant Gray, Miss Peach, Madame Rose, and M. Brunette actually are in their own game, which is Master Detective. So they probably won't get swapped in and out because they actually are established in their own game. Right, but you know, I, I like, I'd like, just like to see some flexibility there. You can always do what I do, which is I just start mixing the cards for Master Detective. And um, if I really want to make it hard on us, I I actually mix the two games together and put the two boards next to each other. I'm evil. (laughs) Mine needs to say to when I do that to him. So how many of our secrets do we want to give away? Well, I think we should run down the gameplay first. So people, if you haven't played Clue. Where have you been, first of all? Yeah, that's my first question. Like, who are you people? And two, you need to get your ass to my house because I will totally teach you how to play Clue. So with Clue, there's three types of cards. There's the suspects, the weapon, and the rooms. You pick a person to pick one from each pile, put them in a little envelope, and that is the who, where, and with what. And then you kind of dish out the other cards among the players. You roll dice. You try to get into a room. Here's the thing with the rooms. When you go into a room, you can make a suggestion, which is, I suggest, or I think it might have been. And you tell, you make a guess of who, what, and it has to be that room. So if you're in the billiard room, you have to use the billiard room in your suggestion. There are some, I I do this for my nieces or people who are playing first. I kind of let, okay, if you're in a room, when you're making your suggestion, it could be any room on the board. But traditionally, you have to be in the room where you're making your, where the suggestion is to. So if you're in the billiard room, it has to be the billiard room uh, that you're making the suggestion in. And it has to be the room when you're making the accusation too. This is where you get a little cagey. There's secret passages, which make this even more fun. You can use all of your role or part of your role to enter a room. However, you don't get to use part of your role, enter the room, make a suggestion, and then leave the room. doesn't play that happen that way. Once you enter a room, and that's the end of your turn until you make your suggestion. This is where the deduction comes in. And this is where strategy is. So when you make a suggestion, someone can disprove you. They can, only show, they can show you one card. This is where you got to start getting strategy in to disprove your suggestion. It usually starts with whoever is on your right. 
Yeah, whoever's on your right. If they can't disprove your suggestion, it goes to the next player. And this is how you eliminate cards or know who's got what cards. If you make an accusation and you are proven wrong, you are out of the game. And now here's where you can make it harder, not James. You can take your cards with you when you're out of the game, or you can still use it to disprove suggestions, depending on how long of a game you want to make it. All right, did I lose anybody? Um, I hope not. Well, uh, there will be a pop quiz at the end of today's podcast, so take notes. I do want to mention there. Uh, there is one other other name for the for the mansion that's cropped up over the years. You know, we, we've had Tudor Close, Tudor Mansion, Tudor Hall, Arlington Grange is mentioned for the game show, and then Body Manor and Body Mansion for the states. Because mm-hmm. I, I think we left one out at the beginning. Yeah, we didn't do the Tudor. We just did Arlington Grange and the Body. Manor and the Body Mansion. I didn't think we went with the. We didn't do the original name was Tudor Mansion, and there was like Tudor Close, Tudor Hall, in England. That's what that's called. Arlington Grange, I think, was for the was for the game, the game show, show. Right, like I just said. Yeah, and then Body was for us over here because Doctor Black never made it over here. So technically, the murder is supposed to take place in Hampshire, England in 1926. If it's the American version, it's somewhere in the New England countryside in 1926. Here we go. Okay, so one of my favorite strategies to employ, I will go to a room and I will pick two things I know I have and one that I don't. That's usually what you try to, yeah, that's usually what, that is usually the standby strategy is to do that and then just slowly do the process of elimination. However, and that is actually the, that is actually the, the best way to play this game is, is to, is to do a process of elimination. Okay. But you had a, however, there is, however, this, this, uh, strategy does run into a problem because remember you have to keep track of what the person to your right has. Because if you keep using the same kind of things, she, that person, if they're keeping track in their head of what they've already showed you, can screw you up by keep showing you the same things. Right, which is which just goes into the other part of my strategy, how I do the marking on my uh, little notepad. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest parts of this game is are those custom notepads, which have all the different potential suspects and locations and what murder weapons and you mm-hmm. can mark them off with a checkpoint i will typically mark the ones i have with a c mm-hmm. and if i find somebody doesn't have a card that's when i use an x mm-hmm. and if someone does have the card i mark that player's initials in that spot there you go now you're not just stuck with this game with just what you do this is the other fun part of this game is watching what everybody else does. Oh, absolutely. This is a game you have to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no playing your cell phone in the middle of this game. Haley learned that one the first game and she got whooped and she's just like, what happened? I'm like, you weren't paying attention. So this is most definitely one of those games, guys. Turn off your cell phones. Unless you're using your cell phone, unless you're using one of the many apps on your phone, for the clue detective pad i have one on mine 
tells you how often I play this game. And I love it because it has, you can actually pick the different Clue games. So there's like obviously Classic Clue, Master Detective, FX, all of the spinoff games are on this thing. You just pick the game and it pulls up that gamepad for you that you can write in. Definitely a more environmentally friendly way to go about it. Mm-hmm. That, and you don't have to try to find pens that work, because that was always my one problem. Oh. Was I alone in that, where if the pens that you had in the game, like when you went back to go use them, they were almost always dead? We we typically just use pencils ourselves. Yeah, except my household. Good luck trying to find a pencil sharpener half the time. Fair. You'd have one. Just good luck finding it. So, And there also was uh, another bit of strategy there of what characters that you play. Right. Miss Peacock is typically considered the most advantageous piece since she starts one space closer to the first room than any of the other players. Mm -hmm. Uh, Traditionally, Miss Scarlet has the advantage of moving first, but that's been done away with. Nope, it's still in the game. I played it too. There's been a high roll rule in modern versions I'm reading here. No, if you still open up, I have a 2020 version of the game we played. And if you open it up, it still says, Miss Scarlet gets to go first. Oh, well, in that case, most modern versions. Yeah, we played that. that Yeah, because that's why Haley always plays Miss Scarlet. (laughs) She's always Miss Scarlet because she wants to go first. And I was like, oh, no, they did away with it. And then we opened up the, the rules and it says... If you play, and it still says Miss Scarlet technically can go first, but the thing with Clue is it's kind of like Uno, where there's certain rules that you can kind of skip, and it doesn't really affect gameplay. Uh, one of those ones that we do is rolling the dice. Whoever has the highest number on the dice is where we start, mostly because we all got tired of Haley going first. I'm so calling out my niece in this podcast; she's gonna kill me. Well, she better resurrect you in time for next week. I'm not doing an E3 podcast on my own. Well, first thing, she's got to actually get into her car and drive over here first to get me. She's working all the time, so she can't. Another one is, well, the other reason why Miss Peacock has such an advantage, too, is the conservatory has a secret passage you can use. So not only do you get one room, you're guaranteed to get into a second room on 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 your next roll. Yeah, you get over to, I do believe, the lounge, mm-hmm. whereas the study and the kitchen are connected. Yeah, conservatory is the lounge, kitchen, study. So that's also, Miss Scarlet has that advantage, too, of not just going first, but she's close to the lounge as well. The only thing ends with the new one was they took away a couple of doors to make it a little harder to get into certain rooms. Oh, that's mean. Yeah, we, we're we not sure if it was done on purpose or if it was an accident in the game design. Hasbro has not kind of come out and said that. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, it's what happens. So there was a squared off door to the conservatory. That is, There was a door to conservatory that is now cut off, which makes it harder for Mr. Green to reach it on his first move. However, they did decrease the distance between the ballroom and the conservatory. It also removed the side door to the hall, which makes it harder for Professor Plum to get into the hall on his first turn. Now, this is a lot of strategy to consider for what's generally perceived as one of, quote-unquote, my first board games. Mm-hmm. 
it's actually pretty neat with because this game can grow up with you uh, the the deeper you get into it well yeah i mean the, the game the the level of the game grows with you biggest thing that grows with you in the game is your ability to take notes um most people who start off just start off xing off okay that's not in the go they start like not you know, as i remember being a kid you're eliminating what's not in the envelope not keeping track of who has what cards but what's in the envelope and trying to get to the right answer as you get older you start to learn how to one in a sense lie about what's in your hand by keeping track of what you showed other players so you can make sure that you know you don't show them any any new cards unless they've specifically put that new card in their suggestion. So if you if I had Miss Scarlet and Miss Peacock, I had the wrench and such and such in my hand, and you've been trying to figure out who the murderer is, and I've already showed you Miss Scarlet once, I can show you Miss Scarlet again. Like as long as I that's how I play, which like I said, ticks my nieces off to no end because they're like, we're just trying to figure out who did it. I'm like, and so am I. <laughs> Here, you didn't change up your person. You just changed up the weapon. I have, you know, but I have that person. So guess what I'm showing you? I'm showing you the person, not the weapon I have in my hand. So as you get old, as you grow up and you start to have more complex, um, logical thinking, you start to apply that to the game so as we as we mentioned earlier a lot of different versions have come out over the years including the game i always envied but my parents wouldn't let me get because they're like we already have regular clue we don't need this the clue master detective disclosure that was actually my first clue game hmm I did not have regular Clue. I did not get regular Clue until I was older. Clue Master Detective came out. At the time, I was obsessed with the Clue movie. And we'll get into that in a moment. Mm -hmm. So my parents, realizing how obsessed I was with the Clue movie, figured, well, we'll get her the Clue game. So they got me the Master Detective game, which I have. And someday, we'll maybe we'll do a live stream of us playing it. <laughs> So James can play the game. I, I played it once. Mm -hmm. We did. We did that at uh, one of the board game nights over at uh, the Burger Barn. Oh, that's right. I did bring it with me. Yes, we were playing with one of Tanya's kids. We were playing with Riker, who halfway through the game walked off because <laughs> he found something more interesting to do. God, yeah, I love Riker. A, poor guy's attention span wasn't even holding up through most of what he did play. No, he was a good kid, though. I love He's Riker. He's a great kid. We love the guy. Clue was just not the right game for Riker. <laughs> it really wasn't. Uno probably would have been more his speed. Oh, he would have had fun with Uno. He and kills I, I, Uno. Okay. Yeah. But Master Detective kind of came out... Oh, God. I think that came out in, like, 90... 1988. There we go. I thought it was eh, close. And that was an expanded version of the game where it included more rooms, more characters, and more weapons. 12, 10, and 8 each, respectively. Mm -hmm. It added the poison and the horseshoe. It also added for rooms, the fountain, the gazebo, and the carriage house. And as we said, it brought in Miss Peach, 
Monsieur Brunette, Madame Rose, and Sergeant Gray. So there's Gray came back into the game. Just transitioned from a woman to a man. And then they had, after that, I think the one they had after that was the Museum Caper, which was a, it was a clue game, but it was a different kind of clue game. In which you could also not only play one of the, play one of the characters, you could play the thief too. And you're trying to escape from the museum before the other characters figure out who you are. Kind of like 1313 Dead I do remember the ads for that one, which used the then modern incarnations of the characters. At that point, they had recast Miss Scarlet as, as a person of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, Miss Scarlet was always of Asian descent. In almost every one of the Clue games, the only really surprising enough switched her to being white was actually in the 80s. Any other game with her, or even even during the movie, Leslie Ann Warren played her. Um, they made Mrs. White Asian in that one with Madeline Kahn, who's one of my favorite actresses. Love her. Miss her so much. But... Any other any of the old games that you looked at, any of the old board games, almost always they had Miss Scarlet was of Asian descent. Huh. Miss Scarlet, the original whitewashing. Yeah. So when so it was like when the eighties I think it was like the seventies or eighties came around, they made her a white woman because there was the feeling of having Miss Scarlet being Asian was stereotyping the feminine, the feminine fatale, you know, Asian spy woman. There was just this feeling that it was stereotyping. So they kind of changed it out of, surprisingly enough, sensitivity. Hmm. Well, so six of one, half a dozen of the other then. Yeah, pretty much. They could have just changed how she was dressed. Yeah, they didn't think that far ahead. They're just like, well, we'll just change her ethnicity and no one will notice. And and eventually that's how it came to Dr. Orchid. Mm-hmm. Which was the return of an Asian character to the game. Right. Also, a little side note to kind of bring this back to our hometown. Did you know that Clue was actually inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame? Oh, naturally. In 2017, it finally was inducted in the Toy Hall of Fame. You do not know how many times I, f- I campaigned for Clue to be in that. Then the one year I, I didn't do it because I was busy, that's the year they put it in. I was like, Ugh. Yes, they did that just to spite you. No, of course they didn't. No, of course they didn't. I think they were just like, hey, the annoying, the annoying former employee is not bothering us about this. Maybe we should do it this year. So I also have the vintage edition, too, that looks like a bookshelf. Like a book on a bookshelf. Right. That that, that was uh, released first in 2005 and reissued in 2009. I got the 2009 one. Yeah, we got we got one of those bookshelf editions for Candyland for the girls way back when. Yeah. I mean, that Super was honest. I have to tell you, that was actually a really smart part on Hasbro to do that. Because it was really cute. It was really clever. I kind of would have liked it to be the wooden box and not the, the gray velvet one, but mom bought it for me and I, I'm not going to be picky. So Now back to those, uh, those live action performers you saw in the, in the commercial for the museum heist game. They first cropped up in the VHS versions. 
Indeed, the 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 v, the VCR games. Oh man, I I would not be playing that game at a at a bar mitzvah or at a synagogue because there is so much ham. Oh yeah, this this is some of. Oh my god, the VCR games are some of the most over the top acting you will ever see in your life. Outside of the seventh guest. Pretty much. The only, but I will say I played the VCR game and that one is actually a lot of fun to play. The camp in that game, it, it makes, it makes it, it makes it what it is. It makes it fun. With the VCR games, it's still the same thing. Who, where, and with what. With an it, added wrinkle. With two added that, wrinkles. Yes. That uh, you also have to figure out who everyone else is. Mm-hmm. And who the murder victim is that you killed, that that character killed. This is probably the smartest design decision they made for this for this VHS game, since if you're relying just on video clips, there's not going to be a lot of replayability. Adding the randomization of who's playing what character and having to figure out who each other is and who they killed, that adds a ton Oh yeah, it does. And the adding to it is the clue cards. So depending on the case you're doing will depend on what information you give off of the clue cards. And you can either put the information out there and share it with everybody else or keep it to yourself. And each each case on the VHS has like five scenes to it. And but the rules still apply. If you guess wrong or your accusation is wrong, you're out of the game. But you still have to stay in to answer personal questions. Uh, because one of the ways you try to determine who everybody else is is by asking each other personal questions. Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you a doctor? Are you this? Are you that? Were you smoking? And it's and obviously you could be very straightforward and ask, you know, were you the one wearing yellow? And you know, people answer you can answer it. But then you can also give information that's a little more ambiguous, like, well, my character was, was, was someone who smoked a cigar. Well, if you had a scene with three people smoking a cigar, you can't quite figure out who the cigar smoker is. Right. So you kind of start to put some of the strategy we talked about from the original Clue game into that game. Oh, but it's, I would love to play that game again if I could just find the kit. Because I just need the kit. Because you can find the video online on YouTube. Right. I am I'm hoping Board Game Geek would have some printables online. Oh, that would be awesome if they did, especially um especially the book because the book told you the answer. So there was none of the so in the book there was a part of the book that was color coded. Like you would have to have a special yellow you had to have the yellow strip to put over it to see the answer of who did what, where, when and how. And this was such a hit. They came out with the Clue VCR Mystery Game number two, Masters of Disguise. Or Murder in Disguise. Murder in Disguised, which is just, I have not played that one. I have not played that one. So if anyone's played that one, please leave a note in the comments about what it was like, because I've not played that one yet. I wish I did. I had also had, what was it, the... Oh, we had the Clue card game. That was fun. 
Okay, that, that's a little bit stripped down. Well, when you're playing it in a in a yeah, car, yeah, in a car game, naturally. <laughs> yeah, when you're playing in a car, you kind of have to. And of course, there's been the myriad versions of Clue Junior over the years. Oh, and all the franchise clues too. We'll talk about those another time. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's the Clue Junior games, which also took off too. The one that was kind of interesting was um. Uh, it was called Clue, Secret, and Spies. Okay, while you're uh, getting ready to talk about that, I do have some good news. Board What's Game that? Geek does have <gasps> the detective fact sheet. Oh, good. Well, that's one one part down. Now we just need the cards. They have printing backs for custom cards, mm-hmm. but not actual full-on cards. I think that's veering a little more into trademark territory. Ah. And they have to be very careful on board yeah. game geek. Yeah, that's true. They can get into a lot of trouble. I don't know I don't know is Hasbro, if Hasbro's is as crazy about trademarking as that. Nintendo. I, yeah. I will say this though, with Clue, just because there's so many different variations of it, I'm very surprised that they have not tried to reissue the VCR games in a more digital format. Hmm. You know, I, I could see that working on, on something like the switch where, especially if people have multiple switches on hand, they can use as their own checklists. Mm-hmm. Or even just, um, Oh, what is it? Um, kind of like with Jackbox games. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With room codes and, and support for streaming and for and the like that yeah. that would work because because in the pandemic one of the things that actually started taking place on zoom was people were actually playing clue as a game where whoever was hosting the game was the clue master so they weren't actually the person who was playing they were the person who was you know they would share their screen and they would move people's pieces for them and you also had like the chat box the like the private chat box where you know um so let's say if i made a suggestion and you had a card you can send me a private message of what card you had all right so there were people actually doing a version of this obviously a little more scaled down cuz you know obviously you know they're using excel spreadsheets and stuff but there is a version of this game that is, you know, that you can uh, do that with. And I'm very surprised Hasbro has not, like, jumped on that and made an official version for stream, for Steam. Because they've done it with the other Clue games. Like, there is a Clue game you could play multiplayer that plays like a regular Clue game. But nothing like having your own, like you're kind of it's kind of randomized and it's you're kind of thrown in with people who you may not know it would be cool if they did one like a jackbox game right and not just a regular clue but of like master detective and some of the other ones that they've done a lot of companies should be taking some cues from jackbox games i think there's a lot of 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 room in that space for more players more developers mhm yeah, it's just one of those, it's one of these things where a lot of these games could go over as a Jackbox game, and, and it's very surprising it hasn't. So, you hear that, Hasbro? Partner up with them. 
yeah, seriously, talk to Jackbox Games and like talk to you know and 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 find out what they're doing and how they're doing it. Because dudes, there's so much you could do with that. We keep talking to these companies as if they're going to listen to us. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they will. Someone may be like, "Hey, you should check out this podcast. They had a great idea." If yeah, if only. Yeah. Well. Some, you know, I'm I'm watching our analytics, and sometimes we're we're lucky to break break into twenty downloads in the first week. Hey, hey, hey. some things take time. I know. It's like Clue; it gets better with age. Speaking of which, our NES Zelda episode is still our most popular. <laughs> I picked good. So one of my favorite games that I now Clue actually is. Now, you do know that Clue is on video games. There actually are video game versions of Clue. Yes, I had the, the Master Detective uh, PC port. What was considered the cheaper alternative to getting me the actual Master Detective board game, especially since at that point it was out of print. Fair enough. So we, we stumbled upon it at CompUSA. It was like 10 bucks. I asked my dad. He was like, okay, I can afford that. <laughs> Another one that came out, too, was Clue Fatal Illusion in 99, um, which actually took Clue out, which is actually the Clue game that was not like a Clue game. So instead of all the other versions of this game played it like the board game, this one actually you played the part of a character and you have a story that you're playing through and you're trying to solve the mystery. So it works more like, you know, the point and click games. So, so it, like... Uh... Like like a LucasArts Maniac Mansion style game. More or less. It was supposed to be part of an actual series. It only did the one, which bums me out because that was so much fun to play. Mm. It was supposed to be the first installment of three uh, Clue Chronicle Mysteries, but it kind of got canceled when Hasbro folded the first time back in the 90s late 90s and EAI interactive kind of quit the gaming business but it was cool because it took the clue and put it into kind of a murder mystery game that adults could play so if you didn't want to go online and play against people or the computer you actually had this storyline game that you could play that played like a murder mystery novel okay and how much replayability was in that one, would you say? Oh, I replayed it a few times. I enjoyed it. There's the voice acting alone was amazing. All right. What, but did any of the stories have any variable elements to them? Um, More or less, when you were, there was the part where you could ask different questions to the suspects. So you can pick and choose the different questions you asked. And it would give you different answers. The thing is, is that it left off on a clean, on a cliffhanger because there was supposed to be a second game. Oh, bummer. And they never had the second game. And people who played Fatal Illusion have been begging Hasbro since they're back up and running to put out a second game. Because the second game was developed, it was made, it just never was released. Hmm. So, uh, and the plot of it was, it was kind of New Year's Eve in 1938. Uh, where you as the player are invited on the Rhine Maiden yacht for a trip to a mountain retreat of the eccentric and mysterious German millionaire, Ian Mask. 
to see his collection of Egyptian artifacts. However, Mask meets his fate from a poisoned puzzle box, and you must find the murderer. And the game includes an Egyptian curse and a Nazi spy ring. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> which is, which is, you know, like I said, it's out of all of the games, it's the one that was different. Where you weren't playing it as the board game, you were playing it as a story. And then there was actually an arcade version of the game, not Fatal Illusion, but of Clue, where you could win money playing the game. Oh, this must have been placed in casinos then. This was actually in pubs. This never made it into a casino. You could go into a pub in the UK and play this. Oh, I guess they must have different gambling regulations then. It's so different than when you go and you play, you know, the, the video games at the bar. Just in this case, you get a ticket with money on it. Hmm. Listen, if gaming companies can do it, they'll turn anything into a in a casino game. Well, I, I know that. Yeah. If you see, I, I've been to Vegas enough times to see how many Monopoly slots they've made. Yeah, that's fair. No, the one that got me was the Metal Gear Solid casino slot game. I saw that. And, and don't mean, get it started on the, all the pachinko games in Japan. Nope. Oh, but that's not gambling. I have no idea about any gambling, we'll say Japanese parliamentarians every seven or eight years, and then and then nothing will happen to curb the actual gambling elements, which don't take place in the parlor itself, but I'm tangenting. Yep. We'll talk about that in another episode. Yeah. We knew we do but we have to talk about one of the elephants in the room, which is the newest thing that you both you and I started watching probably as of today. And I'm enjoying watching this because I'm recognizing actors on this game show that are actual, like legitimate, like good, great, you know, good, almost A-list actors. So you're talking the ITV game show that lasted for about four years. Oh my goodness. Yes. Season two is my favorite because it has David McCullum and Molly um, Sugdan. Molly Sugden used to be on Are You Being Served? She played okay. on Mrs. Slocum. I thought she was familiar. I yeah, I, I did too until I and then I saw I'm like, oh my god, that's 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 Mrs. Slocum from Are You Being Served? And then David McCollum was in uh, The Man from Uncle. Okay. He played the Russian spy on it. Illy, oh god, now I gotta look him up. And while you're looking him up, I will mention that season three probably would be the favorite for a lot of the convention goers and staff at Flower City Comic Con, because that one had the fourth doctor himself, Tom freaking Baker. Yes! As Professor Plum. Oh my God. <laughs> what spot on casting? I know, right? Ilya. He played Ilya. He okay. Played, he, yeah, he played Ilya in the original Man from Uncle. Oh my God. I watched that and I was just like watching both. David McCollum and watching Tom Baker play Professor Plum, like it was just, they were just perfectly cast. They were just perfectly cast. Like 
I actually wanted like I started watching the episodes where Professor Plum was the uh, was the was the the murderer because at the end of once you guess correctly who the once they guess who the murderer is the murderer then explains why he did it or she or she and it's like they have like this 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 monologue of why oh, and they're they did delicious it. and they're awesome. Oh my God, Mo- Molly uh, as Mrs. White, hers for killing when she goes through the killing of the the stockbroker and why she did it. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. Yeah, that that one was brilliant. I've only seen three of the episodes so far in, in preparation for today's podcast. Yeah, but we should actually explain some of the differences for the audience mm-hmm. because there's there's just first off. This is not a, a what we think of as a, a win big prizes game show with contestants. This is more of a, hey, let's just relax and play a game kind of game show. And you're just watching along with these celebrity guests, mm-hmm. none of whom I've ever heard of. No, because they're all British celebrities. Though the, um, the minor British celebrities, you know, like- stuff that did not cross over to like PBS, like Doctor Who and Are You Being Served did. Yeah. The big thing with this is it, it reminds me of, remember when Jane Lynch used to do Celebrity Game Night? I think so. Where she used to have celebrities over and they would play board games or a certain game, like play games. And there was no prize. There was no money involved. It was just people playing these fun games and listening to their answers and how hilarious their answers would be. That is what this game show is. My my favorite one was um, when one of the guys was asking David McCollum uh, a question because they get to interrogate the suspect and he goes, "Right, well, what was the I condition?" I was getting there. Yeah, which was what was the condition of the victim, you know? And David McCollum goes, "His condition was he was dead." <laughs> like he just. <laughs> At which point, then he goes, "I could see why you married him to like to like the the um the wife of the, of that celebrity who was playing with him." And I was just like, "Oh my god." They are so deliciously snarky. It's great. But uh, to get back to the the explanation of the rules. Go ahead. The contestants and the audience are shown a, a little uh, roughly six or seven minute vignette where the six traditional suspects are interacting with the murder victim of the week who is generally being a jerk and or setting up potential motives for each of the suspects and you'll see the suspects with the various weapons of the episode and they're not always going to be the what the traditional ones from the board game in fact the traditional six weapons only ever appeared together once on the christmas episode yes that was the only time we did other than that you get some weird stuff like a drag uh, like a costume dragon's tail oh what was the other oddball one there was another there was one a bow like- and arrow there was a bow and arrow. No, there was one that I'm like, that's a murder weapon. Oh, a glass of champagne. Oh. It was just, and it was like, it's a murder weapon because the poison. I'm like, oh, why didn't we just say poison? Naturally. I was like, come on. But then the the two pairs of cele- celebrity contestants would interrogate the the murderers, and only the killer was lying. Everybody else was being honest. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that round of interrogations, each pair of of contestants would submit their suggestion 
for what what it could have been. And if they get all of it right by some miracle, well, they have to figure out what to do for another 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. If they get none of them right, then all three of those are eliminated from the pool of possibilities. Yes. If they only get one or two right, then they're left with some ideas, but nothing concrete. So for yep. once, getting zip correct is actually more helpful than getting one or two, at least yeah. in this first round. Oh, yeah. And it's an interesting twist. It is. And the and the host doesn't tell you what you got right. He just tells you, did you get one right, two right, or none right? And I don't think I've seen... Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen an episode where someone got it all right on the first round. Yeah, I don't think they had a chance to since, the, again, it was only four seasons. And each ep- season was only six episodes in uh, typical British television style. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But the second round would open with a little more footage that had quote-unquote just come to light, and that could change what the contestants know about the suspects and their potential motives and the locations of the murder weapons. That's true. And that's usually when the contestants start taking turns. Well, what am I saying? Usually that's when, when the contestants start taking turns, doing another interrogation, then making another accusation, and they're told how many they have right. And the host will point out, okay, you made this change and you still had two right. Or you made this change and only had one right. And so on and so forth, trying to lead players to get to the answer. And when they do find it, that's when you get that delicious monologue. Oh, yeah. Or he goes, what was your reasoning for for, for changing this or picking this person? Like. He kind like it's and it's really interesting listening to their thought process. I, I love the one guy who was like, I'm guessing. I have no idea. Like, he was just like, I'm guessing. <laughs> and he actually guessed right, which was so much fun. I would love to see a version of this in the United States. Now we are starting to slowly get on time, so I gotta make sure we hit up the movie. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Tim Curry. Oh, my God. I love this cast. This was so perfectly cast. So, oh, the movie. You want to go first or should I? Well, this one updates the setting a little bit. It takes place during the start of the Cold War. And instead of just accepting that these six characters are going to have these somewhat unlikely names, they are instead saying that these are aliases. So Colonel Mustard, Miss Peacock, and so on and so forth, none of them are their real names, Mm -hmm. which is a very, very clever bit. Oh, I love the uh, fact, yeah. Of lore building and and making, keeping things natural. Oh, yeah. And and they do stop them every so often when a character is, is about to say something. So you really get the idea that this is like, it takes it to that whole new level of suspense where it's like, no, that's not my name. You will be, you will be indebted to my employer for the use of a pseudonym or when they're talking about where they work and it's like, oh, we can't talk about that. Like you start getting that, that sense of mystery and that sense of tension of what is going on here? Like it's just, and, and this is one of the films where I, there's, there's certain films on my list of films that should never be remade. And this is one of them. 
Yeah, that and Princess Bride. Yes. Whoever decided to try to remake Princess Bride, I will find you and I will kill you. I will do the world a favor. No jury could convict me. So, we already mentioned Tim Curry as Wadsworth, the butler working for Mr. Body. And uh, I'd say spoiler alert, but this movie is like 35 years old now. In two of the endings, he's an undercover FBI agent. But in the quote-unquote true ending, which we're going to refer to as ending C, he's Mm -hmm. the true Mr. Body. Yep. And what's fun with those endings is not all three endings were shown at the same time. Different theaters had different endings. So if you went to go see it in the movie theater when it first came out, you had the choice of ending A, ending B, or ending C of what you're getting. And not every movie theater quite cottoned to this gimmick, so they didn't advertise which ending they had. Mm-hmm. So you would wind up with water cooler talk, and they'd be like, oh, I can't believe it was it was Mrs. Peacock. And then someone else would say, what are you talking about? It, it was Miss Scarlet. Yep. Oh, my God, yes. And it was... And those, by the way, are endings B and A, respectively. Mm-hmm. And then very rarely was there an ending C. There was, there was supposed to be a fourth ending to the, to the movie, but it, was, it wasn't very good, so they scrapped it. In the unused fourth ending, the murderer was Wadsworth, and he did them all. Okay. So he was motivated by his, dis- this, is, this is according to John Landis, what they had come up with. He was motivated by his desire for perfection. Having failed to be either the perfect husband or the perfect butler, he decided the perfect murderer would work instead. Wadsworth reports he poisoned the champagne the guests had drunk earlier so they would die soon, leaving no witnesses. The police and FBI arrive and Wadsworth is arrested. He breaks free, steals a police car, but his escape is thwarted when three police dogs lunge from the back seat. <laughs> Tying back to the dogs in the beginning. Yeah, I, I can see why they dropped that one. I, I can too. Also, interestingly enough, the part of Miss Scarlet was supposed to be played by Miss Carrie Fisher. Yeah, she was unfortunately going through a rough time at that point. So it wound up going to, where is she on this list? Leslie Ann Warren. Warren. Who, I've seen her. Now, which of them played it? Was it Leslie or was it Warren? Or it was both. (laughs) Or maybe it was all three of them, depending on how you pronounce Ann. True. Um, (laughs) We're obviously just being silly. Of course, Leslie Ann Warren is one person. And Leslie Ann Warren actually was very well known for her femme fatale characters uh she was in victor victoria where she played uh the gangster's girlfriend who gets jealous and and tries to um out victor uh victor Vic, uh, tries to out him as gay which he's not but it's you have to see the movie to understand what's going on but i mean this was a class act cast you had tim curry and actually interestingly enough tim curry was not initially picked for this role the initial person was Leonard Rossiter, but he died before they started filming. So they oh. wanted to go with uh, Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, but they felt he wasn't well known enough for the part. They wanted to have it kind of be someone who was a little more well known. And so they went to Tim Curry uh, for his, and he was kind of picked for his playing the part of the devil in Legend. Mm. Uh, so Martin Mull. 
over the rest of the cast, as we were just about to say, Martin Mull, noted comedian for uh, for his for, for eventually Roseanne, and uh, there was there was one very short lived show that was very well regarded, the name of which escapes me. Oh, um, I can look it up. Oh, Fernwood tonight. There we go. He he was Colonel Mustard, and this is the performance of Martin and Mull's career in this movie. He was so awesome. And he actually, from this, they actually did a documentary where he hosted it as Colonel Mustard, and it was the it was kind of like the rise of the murder mysteries. So it was like the history of murder mystery as literature and into the movies. And he kind of hosts it as as a little bit like uh, General uh, Colonel Mustard. Uh, Michael McKean plays Mr. Green. You'd remember him as Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. Mm-hmm. And Christopher-, Christopher Lloyd as Professor Plum. Doc Brown and, and um, oh, his character from Taxi. And Uncle Fester. And Uncle Fester, yes. Uh, Madeline Kahn. What can we say? Mrs. White. She's Mrs. White. What can we say? She's amazing. We had Eileen Brennan as Miss Peacock. She, oh my God, she was so good as Miss Peacock. She really was. And uh, it's a supporting cast headed up by Colleen Camp as Yvette. Oh yes, the call girl maid. Hmm. Um, We also uh, had... um, Go ahead. Many a a, a, awakening occurred watching her. Yes, very much so for very for a lot of gentlemen in the audience. And some girls. And some girls. And there's a brilliant cameo by Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's as the Telegram Girl. Yes, and she she plays sings she's the singing Telegraph Girl. It took me forever to realize who she was. Like I was like I know that voice. How do I know that voice? And before we uh move on to move on quickly because we could talk about this movie all day mm-hmm. but we got to cut ourselves off at some point <laughs> there is one thing i want to mention last i have one to an- mes- mention before that but i don't know if it's the same thing okay i i was pausing to, for you to cue the obvious response to me having just one thing no one th- just one thing it took me a moment thank you yeah, no, I'm my favorite line from that is long story short, too late. Too late. But no, Kelly Nakamura plays Mrs. Ho the Cook. If you've ever watched Mass, that's Nurse Kelly. Yeah, she was in one hundred and sixty seven episodes. Of MASH. And she actually just passed away uh, within the last year. Hmm. So Kelly Kelly Nakamura, she um she play, she was in MASH, and they eventually wanted to give her character a name because she was in so many episodes, and Ellen Alda just loved her as a person and, and just kept her on. Um, she's probably one of the few nurses that hung around from the beginning. Uh, the other one was obviously Margaret Houlihan, and there was one other nurse, actress who played a nurse in the show that was there, had been there the longest as a nurse, but Kelly Nakamura was an amazing actress. And it took me forever to realize that she was that nurse Kelly from MASH and Mrs. Ho from clue were the same actress. But I remember I was five at the time too. So. So the one thing I had mm-hmm. is uh, the casting of Mr. Body, which is one of the best pun castings I've ever seen. Yes. A gentleman named Lee Ving. Which is appropriate because, as the murder victim, 
He's just leaving. <laughs> oh, I wonder if he I wonder if they realized that at the time when they did it with his name. <laughs> oh. He played he played a great dead body, man. <laughs> and and the speech, the flame speech where with uh Madeline Calm where she's talking about how mad she was at her husband for cheating on her and she goes, "Flames burning bright that was completely improvised by Madeline Codd during the filming. That was one take. That, yeah, that was one of the very few times they allowed improvising on that set. And given the group they had for that, that had to have been torture, not letting them improvise. Oh, I'm pretty sure that there were outtakes from that from that that we have not even seen yet. Yeah. But I, I and, will say... And John, poor oh. Tim Curry. They spent so much time trying to bust him up. And he'd be like, I'm trying to remember the phone book. <laughs> he was just he's such a he was he's such a good actor mm-hmm. and he's so perfect for wadsworth because he has that smile like when he would smile that smile where you're just like oh he's up to something like they needed someone who could play serious and could turn do those quick turns that wadsworth did to manipulate everybody in that house but it had some of the best lines in it too, like maybe there is life after death. Life after death is as improbable as sex after marriage. You know, just or are you trying to make me look like the end cool? of the world is at hand? News for you, it's already here. Or um, what was it? Are you trying to make me look like a fool in front of the other guests? You don't need me to do that, sir. That's right. <laughs> Or the scene where she, where Mrs. White expl- uh, proclaims it, it describes how her husband died. They're like, they found him decapitated, and well, you know, and then all the guys crossed her legs. <laughs> Just like, as a child. What about I your third husband? He disappeared. Well, he was an illusionist. That was his job. He never reappeared. I didn't say he was a very good illusionist. And of course, in ending C, then whom did I kill? That was my butler. Oh shucks. oh, shucks. Okay, before this just degenerates into us doing movie quotes, do we have anything left about any aspect of Clue we want to discuss? Clue is awesome. You should play it. And if you can't take my word for it, come and play it with me. You'll have a fun time. I do voices. The one thing I do want to discuss left is one of the many games that, that Clue spawned in its wake. A game that I love from the most brilliantly named company, Cheap Ass Games, Kill Dr. Lucky. Oh my god, yes. Kill Dr. Lucky is brilliant because it's not a whodunit, it's a you done it. Mm-hmm. And the game is about getting to the point where you have the opportunity to kill the eponymous Dr. Lucky without being seen by any of the other players. And they don't call this guy Dr. Lucky for nothing. He has a habit of escaping death like nobody's business. It takes yeah. a very smart player to play this game because it is completely diceless. There's a ton of strategy to it. And I'm going to bring it to a board game night one of these days. Oh, yes. We definitely have to. Um, we got to do a live stream of playing that game, too. Yeah. That's going to be a fun game to play. Especially the weapons in it. Mm-hmm. Like... A renunciable spoon, a monkey hand, a letter open, or a trowel, a chainsaw, and pinking sears. And I especially love the variant where 
after you kill Dr. Lucky, he returns from the dead to seek his vengeance. <laughs> no! Oh, we played a round of that with that spinoff. I decided to do it to surprise everybody. And Justin had won the first game, and the lucky devil won the second one, too. <laughs> How about, um, there's one that's a prequel called Save Dr. Lucky. Yes, where you have to save the doctor and be seen doing it off of a <laughs> sinking ship. Oh, God. And there's a time limit, too. If you don't save him before the ship sinks, y'all lose. Yes. Apparently, there's an online version of this game. Doesn't surprise me. Kill Dr. Lucky and his little dog, too. Oh, yeah, that's oh. an expansion, which adds a token for Shamrock, the doctor's dog. That's I, I don't know how much I'm going to be playing that one, because no, don't kill the dog! The secret lair of Dr. Lucky. Which means yeah. you must be seen killing Doctor Lucky. Yeah, it's more of a more of a spy style game, you know, <laughs> in vein of Bond. But they can't use that name. They got in trouble for that back with the game that is now called "Before I Kill You, Mister Spy," mm -hmm. which I also have. Oh, nice! Miss Doctor Lucky's mansion is haunted. Oh my god, that sounds like fun. Yeah, but I think that's going to just about do it because we're. We are well past the hour mark on our initial recording now. We want to be considerate to our listeners. Yeah, your time is valuable. So when it we come back, deadly. we'll have this day in gaming history. We will be talking Flower City Comic Con and the myriad guest announcements we had over the past week as we recorded this. I know. Man, Dan was busy. And we will have our contact information and everything else. Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i -S -S at fc3roc.org. And me at J-A-M-E-S at F-C-3-R-O-C dot org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool. And begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. 
We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. And now, for this day in gaming history, oh, I've got a good one this time. Oh my god, I'm so glad we finally got a good We had some, jer- we had some weird ones before. Yeah, what but, we got this, today? but in 1988, on today, June 17th, in Japan, was the release of Blaster Master. Woo! Oh, yeah, when you talk about cult favorite NES games, this is usually one of the first ones people bring up. It is a brilliant proto-Metroidvania that that really established Sunsoft's name here in the States as a developer of really good games, especially after some of the stuff they had pre-published beforehand, like uh, their Port of Spy Hunter, which didn't really click on the mm-hmm. NES. But and Blaster Master has seen a successful revival thanks to Inti Creates. I've got two of the games via my limited run game physical copies and the third one is going to be going on sale that way soon, but it's available for digital download right now. Ooh. But but I love that this game has had a revival. When I talk about wanting to see old school games the treatment for as new new titles revivals this is the er example of it being done so well and i'm like why can't we do this with more properties <laughs> give them time give them time yeah hopefully if you like what you're hearing you can meet us in person on saturday september 25th and sunday september 26th at flower city comic con at the total sports experience in gates and as if we weren't enough to convince you to join, and let's face it, we're probably not, you will also be able to meet voice actors Mike McFarland and Tiffany Vollmer, best known as Master Roshi and Bulma in the Dragon Ball franchise. We have scads of guest artists and writers like Caitlin Yarsky, Rob Dumo, Joshua Lopez, Drax Gal, Nick Wentland, and of course, our beloved Liz Pritchard. We have awesome. authors Go ahead. We have authors Megan J. Parker and Nathan Squires and cosplay guest and fellow podcaster Sweetheart Harley all joining us. Yeah, and if you haven't had a chance, come and check out our page at wwwsc 3 rockrocom and just click on guests to see all of our guests and click on their pictures to see their bios. It is going to be a fun time. We also have coming as well is the 501st Legion uh, Garrison um, Excelsior from those of you who know them. They are our local cosplayers for anything Star Wars. And then we also have the Rochester Area Ghostbusters. Run by run by Nick. So come and check them out with Ecto One, a huge Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and of course Virgo. Yes, every year he tries and gets me, and nope, nope, not having it. Nope, you keep a, you 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 do very good dodging him. <laughs> and hopefully we'll have more guests to announce too. 
Indeed. We also will have a list of all of our vendors as well on the website. So you can see if you see any vendors that you like and come and check them out. We will be at the Total Sports Experience. Uh, if you wish to have tickets, just go to the FC3 page. They will tell you how to get your tickets ahead of time. That's right. And we, you know, as we say every week, we are going to be complying with every COVID regulation from from the CDC and from New York State. We want our guests to have as safe a time as possible while still keeping it fun. Indeed. And on that note, we're going to bid you folks adieu. I'm James Irish. I'm Chrissy Harding. And thank you for tuning in to Gaming Street Regulars. And as always, game on. Bye, everyone.